0: Welcome to the latest Funds Fan podcast. I'm Kyle Corbwell, your host. I am the collectives editor at Interactive Investor. Coming up later on the podcast is an interview with the UK fund manager of the best performing UK fund since the start of 2020, a period which we, as all now know, includes the COVID-19 market sell-off and the subsequent market recovery. But for the first part of the podcast, I'm, as usual, joined by Tom Bailey, the ETFs editor at Interactive Investor, to chat through a couple of news items. Me and Tom are going to start off with Teddy Smith. Last week, Smith, who writes to all his investors twice a year, took the opportunity in his summer letter to point out the Fundsmith Equity has outperformed the MSCI World Index in the first half of 2021. He pointed out that this has played out despite the market rotation, which since last November has been a tailwind for value shares and proved to be a headwind for growth shares. Fundsmith Equity invests in growth companies. Tom, he got a couple of things off his chest in the letter. Could you run through the main highlights regarding what Smith said?
1: Yeah, sure. So, uh, as you said, um, it was noted in the, in the letter that um, fund Smith Equity uh, outperformed the MSCI World Index in the first six months of the year. Um, but you know, Terry Smith is not someone to just kind of you know make make too much of a point out of short term performance. For him, it was, a, it was a wider point to be made here that this happened despite this uh, kind of market rotation to value shares um, and cyclical shares, which would be you know it, it would it would be the kind of environment which you'd expect a, a Smith uh, fund Smith to underperform. In but you know it, it didn't, and so it's kind of wider point here that um you know he he he's trying to make the point that value value stocks uh, they're often bad companies and that actually really long term investment returns you just want to look at um you know you want good businesses um and, and kind of forget this kind of this attempt to try and time different types of shares at different times, so you know he he says you know you could have bought the you could have bought value shares uh, uh, from November and seen strong returns. But you'd have to try and get all that timing right. Uh, you know, if you're a long-term investor, it's much better, in his view, to actually stick to good companies. So he says in the letter, no amount of recovery or low valuation will turn a poor business into a good one, and quality is the main determinant of long-term performance.
0: It does also go to show that not all growth funds will underperform when those types of companies are out of favour and vice versa. I mean, there's been a lot that's been said about the challenging decades it has been for value shares, and by extension, value-focused funds and investment trusts. But there have been some that have performed well over the past decade. One that springs to mind is the River and Mercantile UK Recovery Fund, which is a member of Interactive Investor's Super 60 list. Smith's letters are always an enjoyable read. I got the impression that he thinks there's been too many column inches written about the market rotation towards value shares. But since mid-June, the value rally has somewhat fizzled out. Investors have been switching their focus back to growth companies on the grounds of being more unsure regarding whether a strong economic recovery will play out. Among the concerns since mid-June that have made investors become a bit more cautious include the Delta variant and higher inflation potentially being here to stay rather than being temporary. Um, The view of both the Federal Reserve and the Bank of England is that inflation will be temporary. But some investors disagree and fear that inflation will remain high in order to do the heavy lifting to reduce the huge government borrowing that's taken place in response to the pandemic. One risk is that inflation becomes structural and hard to control, forcing an earlier than expected rise in interest rates.
1: Yeah, so obviously the, the dovish line in inflation is basically that uh, higher inflation readings uh, we, we've seen the last few months are temporary. They're you know, caused by the reopening, mm-hmm. very strong demand, uh, and also combined with continued supply chain bottlenecks from disruptions that started you know last year with lots of businesses cancelling orders and then trying to you know bring back orders online after they realised there wasn't going to be this huge drop in in, in, uh, in demand for physical goods that was, was anticipated. Um, so the, the hope is, uh, this sort of central banks are, are, are banking on, uh, is is that once capacity catches up with demand, and all the COVID induced gluts in the supply chain are worked out, assuming more don't arise, which obviously is a risk now with the spread of the Delta variant to um, to, to Southeast and East Asia. Um, but it, the hope is that these will be worked out, these, these uh, gluts in supply, and um, uh, yeah, and you will see inflation rates go back down, and you're kind of already seeing some evidence of this uh, in in Europe and North America. But the risk, obviously, is that inflation expectations become anchored. So it's kind of one one of the strange things about inflation is it's really it's all about expectations. So if I'm a business and I think inflation is going to go higher, I raise prices. If I'm a worker and I think inflation is going to go up, I demand higher wages. So inflation expectations essentially become reality. Um, But a key addition to this has been that central banks, as a whole, appear to become less hawkish on inflation, especially over the last couple of years, with this idea that. The the the, uh, the 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 um, sort of policy uh, they pursued in the 2010s was maybe damaging to growth. That you know maybe they should uh, let inflation run a bit higher to uh, kind of for, to account for when inflation's gone too low and to let labor markets recover. Um, so if this kind of changed expectations that you know the central banks of of, of the um, main economies of the world are less likely to raise rates at the first signs of higher inflation, then that kind of changes expectations and you, and you can get this kind of this, this spiral perhaps emerge? But but you know, that's not not for sure will happen because at, at the same time, lots of the kind of disinflationary forces um, that kind of since the nineteen eighties that have kept inflation in check and, and quite low um, so, uh, are still there. So labor unions in 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 um, in North America and in Western Europe are still relatively weak to how they used to be. So wage rise rage rises won't won't uh, kind of come in such force as they used to. Um, Globalisation is still potentially deflationary, technology is still deflationary, and uh, deregulated industry, which keeps um, keeps markets competitive and, and prices in theory low, is also in theory still there.
0: Well, it's certainly a concern among um, a lot of investors and full managers at the moment. And of course, we will. Um, it's a topic that we will be continuing to uh, to cover on the Interactive Investor website. We're now going to move on to investment trust dividends. There was new research out this week, which found that investment trust dividends fell in the first half of this year. Tom, you covered the research. Could you run through the main points?
1: Yeah, sure. So the uh, collective payment of investment trusts in the first half of of this year declined by 3.1%. It's quite notable because this is the first decline in more than a decade. Um, So investment trusts previously collectively cut payments uh, in the second half of 2010. So it's kind of in the wake of the financial crisis. Um, and it, it kind of, it could seem quite surprising, particularly, um, uh, you know, that they're cutting dividends now uh, and not say last year when, uh, you know, now you're seeing dividend payments uh, recover. So in the first half of, of this year, underlying dividends for UK listed companies were up at 8%. Um, but you've got to remember, it's, it's a lag effect. The the, the the dividends are paid from companies right. into the trust and, and it, it works itself out uh, later on. Um, But the the report also noted that investment trust dividends performed uh, very well if you view them over a bit of a longer time frame. So maybe six months is a bit of a, uh, you know, obviously it's it's a half half of the year, but we should maybe look at a kind of broader time frame of, say, the start of the pandemic. So between January 2020, which you can say is kind of the start of it really, and June 2021, UK dividends from companies uh, fell by almost 35% on an underlying basis. Uh, Global dividends declined by almost 6%. In contrast, investment trusts were still able to raise their payments by a collective 2%.
0: In response to the research, the Association of Investment Companies, which is the trade body for the investment trust industry, pointed out that investment companies investing in alternative assets uh, were not included in the research. And if they were, then dividends across the whole sector would have risen by 11% during the six-month period.
1: Yeah, the AIC also reiterated um, a point that made earlier, uh, these statistics to show how um, investment trust dividends held up much better compared to open-ended funds during the pandemic. Uh, so for the for the full year 2020, more than four-fifths of extra income-paying investment trusts increased or maintained their dividend uh, to shareholders despite the impact of the pandemic. In contrast, less than a quarter, so it's just like 23% of extra income-paying open-ended funds increased their dividends in 2020.
0: And As you mentioned, Tom, overall, over the 18-month period, investment trust dividends have held up very well, and the sector has once again passed the test for being uh, reliable dividend payers, even when there's a dividend drought. This, as those familiar with the investment trust structure will know, is due to the fact that investment trusts can hold back 15% of income generated each year from their underlying investments. Um, and that's held back in the dividend reserves. And when there's a shortfall, um, as there was last year, um, due to scores of uh, dividends um, being cut in response to the pandemic or cancelled or paused, um, those reserves can be tapped into. Various investment trusts um, utilised the structure and uh, went into the dividend reserves and that's why the majority of equity income paying investment trusts either increased or maintained their dividends throughout the pandemic. Open ended funds, on the other hand, are obliged to return however much in dividends are paid by the companies held in the fund back to investors each year. They cannot hold any of the income back for a rainy day. My fund manager guest for this episode is Chris McVeigh, fund manager of the Octopus UK Multicap Income Fund. Firstly, Chris, could you give a brief overview of your investment style and approach and what the split is between large, medium and small sized companies?
2: The, the UK Multicap uh, Income Fund at Octopus, in summary, it's a it's an equity income product with with a bias towards small and mid-cap companies that we believe have got the ability to grow faster than their larger peers um the the funds is a portfolio of uk quoted companies which we believe are capable of delivering earnings growth and therefore dividend growth ahead of the market um the, the case for UK equity income is well understood. You know, uh, Investors are looking for sustainable and, and, and hopefully growing income, green dividends um, with the potential for capital growth. However, when we were looking to launch this fund back in December 18, there were some key concerns that we had, particularly around uh, asset concentration, uh, dividend cover and, and lack of growth amongst many of the more traditional large cap focused UK equity income funds. Many of them are holding the the same big FTSE 100 dividend payers, your your, your RIOs, your your Shell, BP, etc. We take an alternative approach. We're looking, we've taken a multi-cap approach to this portfolio construction, um, meaning that we can select stocks from across the entire UK equity markets and therefore focus on progressive faster growing smaller mid-cap companies. Uh, that's not to the exclusion of the FTSE, we do have some names there as well, um, but we as a team at Octopus, we have we have experience within the, the small mid-cap arena. We run about 3 billion already within UK small, quota small and mid-cap equities. Um, so, so it's very much our bread and butter and therefore the fund, whilst it is a multi-cap fund, has got a bias towards these faster growing smaller mid cap businesses um with regard to the to the size split the question there about 15% of the portfolio is in companies with a market cap in excess of of 3 billion uh, another 10% in companies with a market cap of between 1 and 3 billion the vast majority of holdings therefore are, are in or within yeah. um companies with a market cap of between 100 million and a billion uh, about 5% of the portfolio is is below that um we, we take what we call a, a, a bottom-up approach to, to, to investing. We use our, our core satellite approach. That's what we have across the other mandates as well in the team. What that means is the core of the portfolio is made of, of companies which we believe can grow earnings and grow dividends ahead of the market and, and will ultimately be substantially larger enterprises over our, our three-to-five-year investment horizon. Hopefully, they can double in that period. That's, that's certainly our, our, our core aim, but certainly be substantially larger than they are at the time of investment. Um, the, the portfolio also operates with two groups of satellites, one group is offering um, lower growth characteristics in the short term but superior sustainable dividends, uh, whereas the other group of satellites will be paying a lower near term dividend uh, but offer the portfolio really exceptional growth opportunities and scope again to grow dividends over the medium term. Um, we launched this product back in December 18, as I said, with a target dividend yield of 4%. Uh, we delivered 4.4 in, in, in 2019, and we are currently on a run rate of 3.6. And on target, we hope to to get back up to that 4% uh, over, the, over the coming quarters.
0: The fund has performed very well since the start of uh, last year. I ran the numbers on FE Analytics and found that the fund has been the best performer in the UK equity income sector. That's the investment associations from the 1st of January last year to the 1st of August of this year, returning just over 29%. In contrast, the sector average is flat at 0.2% over that time period. So what have been the main drivers behind the fund performing well during both falling and rising markets?
2: It hasn't felt like an easy period kyle uh, uh, and yeah it's been a it's been a, it's been an interesting period to be to be running a, a equity income mandate um in light of what we've seen with regards to dividend cuts so, i mean, with regards to performance over the pandemic the, the more things changed the the more they really stayed the same um we, we made very few asset allocation changes through the period. um we, we did take advantage of some extreme market moves uh, to, to add to some positions which we believe to been oversold, but we really maintained that core um, that, that I talked about. And uh, you know, it's something if we were to talk about again in a year's time, the core of the portfolio would, I'd hope, remain uh, largely as it is. Um, earlier in the pandemic, we did reduce some of our exposure to stocks related to, to consumer lending. We had some concerns, obviously, how things would, would fare with regard to the consumer and uh, employment levels in the face of a significant economic slowdown. Um, So we took a bit of exposure off there, not much, but we did a little bit and and we reallocated that capital towards areas of the market where we felt trading would prove more resilient uh, and and where we had some comfort that dividends would be paid and and areas, as you might expect, supermarkets, et cetera, were were ones that we we bought a little bit into. Um, Early on in the pandemic as well, we saw some really quite extreme price movements, which the fund, took advantage of. Uh, One of the the fund's growth satellites and, and, and strongest contributors since we launched the product has been a stock called Future PLC. Um, it is uh, an owner of various media assets you 'll seen earlier in the week they announced the acquisition of of um, some titles, uh, including Money Week, etc, which i 'm sure many of your listeners will, will be familiar with um, it 's a business which takes these assets and generally uh, utilizes its its core technology to to monetize better uh, online so therefore it 's a business which benefits from from e commerce volumes and indeed it 's had a, a series of upgrades to analyst estimates over over recent periods. Um, this stock was one which got significantly sold off at early stage of the pandemic, got down to about six pounds back in March last year. Um, it had been as high as 14 pounds in, in February, just to give you an idea of, of the pullback. Um, and it's currently trading in the high 30s, it was these types of wild swings that the fund was able to be relatively nimble on and and take advantage of um, during the times of extreme volatility and add to some of its positions, which we believed had been been hugely oversold uh, and wrongly so at the time. Um, but you know, we we aren't a trading fund. It isn't just a, a case of short-term trading. We're very much focused on that long-term progressive growth. We're, we're we're focused on on businesses which we class, as I say, progressive, which we are fully expecting to grow through the cycle. Ahead of the market, uh, and that's exactly what we've seen. So, um, what's driven performance? Well, it's, it's been that it's been that resilient underlying core within the portfolio. It's been um, the, the vast majority of companies that we have within the portfolio have been coming back to the market and updating with with ahead of consensus uh, guidance. That's that's been that's been hugely reassuring. So, we haven't felt the need to, to change much through the period. Um, as I say, we've, we've emerged from the pandemic in good shape, and we've seen our uh, portfolio holdings uh, recovering extremely extremely well well, as we'd have hoped they would have done um, when we entered this uh, this crisis.
0: Have the majority of firms now returned to paying dividends among your holdings?
2: The, the, the vast majority have. I mean, ev- every single position within the fund um, has to be paying a dividend or indicating the, the intention to do so before it gets included in the fund. Um, Yes, the vast majority have returned to to paying dividends as we expected they would do. Um, some of them cut them obviously for um, for balance sheet protection purposes. Other other ones cut them during the crisis, arguably for, for, for optics, for politics. They didn't want to be seen to be paying out dividends to shareholders at times when things were, were clearly challenged. Um, as we entered the crisis, the portfolio had, had dividend cover of of 2.3 times, that's well in excess of the market at the time. Um, It currently has dividend cover of over three times, um, and and therefore we'd fully expect to see some further dividend progression from the existing guidance as management teams feel increasingly comfortable with regard to the the trading environment post-pandemic. there are still a couple of companies which are in the portfolio which haven't reinstated dividends. Um, Young's PLC is, is one. That's the, the Southeast-focused pub and, and hotel company. Um, but the board of Young's has stated that it intends to resume paying dividends as soon as appropriate. So we, we, and we also believe that Young's will come out in a significantly stronger competitive position. So we're very happy to remain shareholders. But yes, it's been reassuring to see the vast majority of stocks have been reinstating dividends. There's very few exceptions which haven't. Um, And certainly given the cover that we we have in the fund just now and the consensus numbers, uh, we'd expect that dividend growth to to continue. I
0: wanted to now move on to ask you about um, portfolio activity uh, of late. What have been your latest buys and sells in the fund?
2: As, As we talked about earlier on, I don't We we don't make regular changes to the portfolio. Um, I mean, there's been a lot of noise in in the UK equity market around takeovers um, over recent months. Um, However, we've been also hugely reassured to see a huge number of, or significant number of exciting prospects coming to the the UK equity market to IPO. And I think the pandemic's been, been helpful from that perspective, companies have seen the benefits of of the depth of capital available on the public markets and 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 I think that that's that you know companies therefore using the private equity route arguably over gearing themselves and, and facing a challenge that we had last year's you know isn't some places that certain management teams would like to be, so you know iPO markets has been been extremely strong, and we hope that will continue, having said that we're extremely selective when looking to add new positions, particularly iPO when we 've yet to get to know the businesses properly. Um, we we really prefer to focus on adding to our, our existing or current positions uh, when appropriate. Um, things that we've added to recently: um, one of the fund's largest holdings, BrickAbility. It's it's the UK's leading brick fr- factor and and uh, a, a building products distributor. It recently raised 55 million pounds. Uh, to, to part fund the acquisition of a competitor called taylor maxwell is it's also a leading supplier of bricks timber cladding products etc um we we, we backed to, at that point we had a very reassuring meeting uh, recently with the management of, of breakability following its full year results we think this business is extremely well placed uh, to continue to grow strongly from its organic base as well as uh, the the benefits from from the acquisition the economies of scale etc um and we believe the stock is at Still, an extremely attractive valuation. It's paying an attractive dividend of over two two percent, and and that dividend is expected to grow um, at about ten percent per annum. So that's the sort of thing we like to add to. It's say one of our largest positions, and we still expect it to 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 re-rate and grow from here significantly. So that that's one we're very happy to, to buy into. Another position, um, which we added to recently, was was one of the fund's growth satellites. Um, a business called learning technologies it's focused on on services and, and and technology for for digital learning for talent management um it uh it recently raised um 85 million pounds to acquire a us listed business called gp strategy so it's quite nice to see uk businesses out there uh, consolidating over other international businesses here also about it coming the other way but uh, learning tech were out there uh, uh, pick off a business in the States. Um, that That's a large e-learning business as well. Um, and w- we think learning technologies, whilst it isn't a cheap stock, we're backing the management to, to significantly improve the operations, particularly within, the, the, within GP strategies um, and, and drive earnings upgrades and, and help bolster the impressive growth track record that Learning Tech has. Uh, the stock's only paying a modest 0.5% dividend yield, but again, it's expected to grow nicely from current levels. Again, that's another example of sort of things we've been trying to add to the portfolio and, and when, it, when opportunistic and when, when right to do so.
0: You mentioned earlier the fund has a current yield of around 3.6%. So what's your outlook for dividend growth for 2021? What do you think the funds could achieve? Yeah,
2: as I say, the fund's currently running about 3.6%. pre crisis in, in, in 2019, it delivered 4.4%. Um, we are we are comfortable that the fund will grow back to, to being a 4% run rate product. That's certainly what we marketed on when we launched it and certainly what we think is achievable. We think that's gonna be achievable over the next couple of quarters. Um, looking across the portfolio, doing the analysis and the growth, if the positions were unchanged over the last year, the fund would be benefiting from, from 24% dividend growth um, over the last year. Um, Clearly, that's partly reflective of the dividend cuts that we saw last year. So I think probably more reflective of the underlying growth within the portfolio. If we look at the year ahead, we'd expect to see uh, dividend growth across the portfolio if the positions remain unchanged of just shy of 10% uh, for the year end of December 22. If you compare that against, um, against a FTSE, I think that looking to... We've obviously seen, again, great growth this year. Uh, but I think the year to December 22 is expected to be relatively flat again at 3.8% uh, dividend yield for the FTSE. So, uh, you know, I, we'd, we'd hope to be growing more quickly than the FTSE and we'd hope to be paying a dividend higher than than, than the FTSE offshore as well. So, uh, again, hopefully that, that, that resonates with investors.
0: And finally, Chris, a question that we ask all fund managers appearing on the podcast. Do you personally invest in the Octopus UK multi-cap income fund?
2: I'd, I'd hope that uh, everyone you asked that question to Kyle says yes they do otherwise yeah, yeah you got to back yourself absolutely i mean the entire quoted team at octopus all, all nine of us have investments in in this fund um as we do also within the other um uh, OIC that we manage um you know, whilst i do tell my wife I, I have a very balanced portfolio with regards to my pension it, it, it the fund is by far the largest investment that i have um from a personal perspective and, you know and then indeed my, my, my my goddaughter, who I manage to trust for, also happens to have a stake in this as well. So it's a better work. But no, we, we, we absolutely we, we be back with the mandates that, that we manage and, and, and we invest in them because we believe ultimately they will, they will grow and they will continue to outperform.
0: That's all for this episode. I hope you've enjoyed listening. And if that's the case, then please do give us a like. Tell your friends and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Of course, you can find lots more investment insight and ideas at ii.co.uk. We'll be back in early September.